0: Welcome to the Well Community Back, We had a great time last week in church and I am just really going to continue this week with the whole concept of, of reaching a lost and a broken world. You know, it's the mandate of the church. I'm going to be vulnerable because when the first week you've got to be really nice, the second week I'm family. Is that right? So now we're just, we're Greeks and Greeks just, we, we become family very quick. And so I thought, you know what? You may as well just get to know the real me last week. I had a couple of profound encounters in the last couple of years that have really transformed my life in a big way. I was going through an airport in Thessaloniki in Greece, and um, you know, I saw these posters of all of these young women and children, And I remember looking at them and I was waiting for my bags. Now, I'd been in airports in Eastern Europe for a lot of years. We do a lot of mission to Europe. We work with church planters and leadership development in that whole region of the world. And for some reason, there was something different about this day. I'd seen the posters before. I'd seen them in Kiev airports. I'd seen them in Poland. But here I was in Greece, and I didn't just see, I noticed. There are moments in life, I think, when the Holy Spirit makes sure that you don't just see something, because sometimes you can see and just keep going, but when you notice, you stop. And I stopped, and I said to the woman that was with me, I said, you know, Maria, what are all of these posters? What are all of these pictures of all these beautiful little children? And she said to me, words that I'll never forget, she said, Christina, these are the alleged victims of human trafficking. And I kind of just stopped, and I'm thinking, this is the year of the movie Amazing Grace, William Wilberforce, the emancipation of of humanity and the abolition of slavery. I didn't actually think it was really real. And I said, what do you mean human trafficking? And she began to tell me that children, and particularly in this region of Eastern Europe, were trafficked across borders and wherever there was um, places of oppression and extreme famine and injustice, children and young girls were being trafficked and sold um, many different forms of trafficking, but one of the predominant ones for, for young women and children was into sex trafficking. And so then I thought, I'm going to research this. I, I don't know if this is really real. So I started to go online, started to talk to people, and found out on my watch, on planet Earth, on our watch, that today they anticipate at least 27 million people are caught up in slavery and a huge percentage of that are young women and children sold into sex slavery. Now, why this was a profound revelation, I guess, for me, is when I walked past, I went home that night, or I went to the hotel, I say home because I spend 300 nights a year in a hotel, which um, becomes awkward when you don't know where the bathroom is. You kind of get up at night and go, whoa, I walked into a wall. Anyway, so um, <laughs> my poor children did. Oh, no, I can't tell you that story yet. Maybe next time I come, then we'll be real family. Anyway, so, so what happened was um, I, I was pondering. And for a long time, I thought, in the story I'm about to read to you, I thought I was a particular person in this story. But really, I think the Holy Spirit showed me over the course of the next few months that I was probably representative of the two people that I didn't want to be in this story. And I wasn't really the representative of the one to do with this issue. And my life quite radically changed. Why don't you turn with me in your Bibles, if you can, to the book of Luke chapter 10. A story many of us are very familiar with. And in Luke chapter 10, I love this. In verse 25, it says, And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested him, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? What is your reading of it? So he answered and he said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered rightly. Do this and you will live. But he, wanting to justify himself to Jesus, said, And who is my neighbor? So he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. On the next day when he departed, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said to him, take care of him. And whatever more you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. So which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? And he said, he who showed mercy on him. Then Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. You know, the thing that I realized was, um, here we have a story where many of us are very familiar with this story. There's, a, good, there's a, a man that was beaten and robbed and left to die on the side of the road. And two religious men, a Pharisee and a Levite, were very busy. They were busy doing their religious duty. They were busy probably on their way to maybe church or to fulfill some sort of religious function. And by virtue of their Jewishness, they're men that should have stopped to help the man that was beaten. But then there was another man, a Samaritan, who's the man that we know that shouldn't have stopped by virtue of the fact that he was a Samaritan. And he crossed the road and he went and helped this man. Now, for a long time, I thought, I am like the good Samaritan. I mean, come on, I'm 43 years old. Do I look at? Right answer. And um, I'm 43 years old. I've got two children, a seven-year-old, a three-year-old. I live in Australia, great husband. And we spend most of our year, like a good 10 months of our year, traveling and Doing conferences and crusades and helping to build local churches all over the world and build the kingdom of God. And for a long time, I thought, well, that's what I'm doing. I'm helping people, helping people overcome the adversity of their past and step into their future. But then I began to think, how many times I walked past these posters, how many times I'd landed in airports in that particular region of the world, but I was so busy. I was so busy going to my next crusade, I was so busy going to my next meeting, I was so busy going to my next conference, I was too busy to stop. And I began to really discover that in all of my busyness and speaking and helping and activity, that there were so many people, spiritually, metaphorically speaking, lying on the side of the road that I was just walking on by because I was so busy. And in this case, it was to take on the whole issue of human trafficking. I'm thinking, Lord, how can I do that? I live in Sydney, Australia. If you understand geography, Sydney and Greece are really not in the same hemisphere. And so I'm thinking, I live far away. I've got two little children. We already have a packed schedule. How is this going to fit in? How is this going to happen? Surely that's got to be somebody else's concern. Because often when we're walking by something, and it's not always for the issue of human trafficking. It could be in our local supermarket, in our Um, in our play group, in our school, in our university, whatever your sphere of life is, whatever region you're in, whatever network church you're in, wherever your world is. Now my world happened to be traveling the globe. My world happened to be preaching and teaching and helping people. So my attention was grabbed and arrested in an airport because that was, that is my world. Now, I don't know where your world is, but I do know that somewhere in your world, there are people that are lying in the trenches of life. And we're walking by because we're so busy, we're so occupied, and we don't really want to get involved because involvement takes time. Involvement costs us of our talent or of our treasure. And I honestly think a reason why maybe many churches aren't growing or many people aren't being reached like they could be is because we Christians often just don't want to get involved. I mean, who has time for more involvement? We have such busy lives and such busy schedules and we have such balance and order. Why would we want to in any way hinder that? But you know, I discovered the Samaritan. The Bible says he had compassion in verse 33. And then it said these words that resonated, I wouldn't leave me for weeks. And the Bible says, and so he went to him. And I discovered at that point that true compassion is not just emotion. Now often we can watch a DVD, we can see something on TV, we can hear somebody's story and we get emotional, we get moved, our emotions get stirred. But an emotional reaction is not the same as true compassion because true compassion compels us to cross the street and go and help. And so then I couldn't sleep. And I was stirred nonstop and I began to think of my own background, 12 years of abuse and someone came and rescued me. Someone came and was light in the midst of my darkness. Someone came and pointed and was a signpost to the Lord Jesus Christ and His redemptive work on the cross and what that could do in my life. And I thought, God, if you could do it for me, could you not do it for these girls? Could you not do it for these children? And then you start reading stats, 27 million people. How could I make a difference? I knew nothing about trafficking but it wouldn't leave me. And so he went to him, he didn't just go to him. The Bible says he bandaged up his wounds, he gave him medical supplies, put him on his donkey, he gave him transportation, he took him to an inn, he gave him shelter, and he also gave denarii to the innkeeper and said, if you need more money. You see, involvement with a broken humanity would always cost us, always cost us. It costs our time, it costs our talent, it costs our treasure. And I began to think of my own spiritual journey and being young on, camps and saying, Lord, here I am, send me. You know, you're so zealous. You're 18 years old and you're on youth camps. And if you've ever been to them, there's like hundreds of kids come out. Lord, here I am. I'll go. You remember those? I'll go anywhere. I'll do anything. I'll just serve you. And snot's falling and you're crying and you're like, God, I'll do anything. And if you're a woman, you're like, Father, I will never compromise. I will serve you. I'll go anywhere. I'll do anything. And I will only marry the man. The lint chocolate man, the one, the elite, I know you've only got one elite one for me. And so then the Lord says, great, I'm going to utilize you. So for the next six years, you're driving teenagers to youth group, you know, every Friday night. Your friends are all going on dates. You don't know if you're a woman anymore. You haven't had an adult conversation in six years. You're driving teenagers to youth and you're doing it for the Lord. And you're working at the youth center for 60 bucks a week and it's all for the Lord. And and you're doing your deal. And then you go on an altar call and there's no longer hundreds, there's just kind of a few dozen when you start hitting your mid-twenties and you're like, Lord, I'll, I'll, I'll go anywhere, I'll serve you, I'll do anything, you know, just, just as long as you give me a nice Christian man. So you've gone from the lint elite, the man, to Hershey's giving God a few more range now. You're like saying, Lord, you know, maybe let's just make him Christian, okay? So you're getting a bit desperate at this point, anything will do. Then you get to about 29. Now you haven't been on a date for a decade. You're still driving 14-year-olds to youth. Your friends are having grandchildren and buying investment properties. And <laughs> you're still on 60 bucks a week for the Lord and driving 14-year-olds. And by this day, you're just like desperate. You're like, oh, Lord, I'll go anywhere. I'll do anything just as long as it's male. Just male. Anyway, so. <laughs> and then I got to 40. And I remember looking around at 40 going, where would everyone be? I, I didn't know I signed up until I got married. I didn't know I was just supposed to be a passionate follower of Christ until I had children. I didn't know I was supposed to just be obedient to what the Lord would will until I got my nice house and my nice car and my nice ministry. I didn't know that I was using God to get a lifestyle. I thought I was following Jesus and it was a call. As long as there's still breath in my lungs, my heart's still beating, blood still pumping through my arteries and veins, God's got a plan. God's got a purpose. God's got a destiny. If you woke up this morning and there was not a white chalk mark around your body, God still has a purpose for your life. This is not a career. It's not a lifestyle. It's a life of authentically following Jesus Christ and being obedient to him. So then it's, will, will you take this on? because it's something that I could do because of the grace of God and the connections we have around the world. We could help mobilize the church and help resource doing something that would make a difference on the earth and help rescue girls. So then you begin to think, but Lord, that's really risky, as if somehow life is not risky. You know how we get into this safety myth as Christians? We kind of live under a delusion thinking, I just need everything to be safe, boring, comfortable, predictable, and safe. It's just all got to fit into neat boxes, and, and I've got to be careful, and I can't take any risks, and life has to be safe, and I mean, I'm a married woman, and I've got two children, and I need a safe life, as if somehow the goal of life is to arrive at death safely. Anyway, and so it's like it's, you begin to rationalize things really stupidly, because in case you haven't noticed, You and I are finite beings. Safety is just a myth, life in itself. Risk is simply the possibility of harm, loss or danger. Well, hello, welcome to breathing. We're not exempt from that. You and I are not a product of time. We're a product of eternity. God has plucked us out of eternity. He has positioned us in time and he's given us gifts and talents for the purpose of serving our generation. We're not gonna be here forever. The Bible says we're pilgrims on a journey. We're a peculiar people. We're aliens. So when Christians start to to freak out through fear and pull back because the, we, uh, I guess, listen to the enemy that says, don't take a risk, don't step out and do this, don't get out of the boat, don't get engaged with a lost and a broken world. What if and what if? And then the Lord says in Second Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, I've not given you a spirit of fear. What are you being fearful of? but of love, power and a sound mind because fear cripples and fear immobilizes us and God wants to take His church to places we have not yet even thought of by paths we didn't even know existed. We can't live safe, we can't live tame, we can't live predictable. We've gotta go into darkness and to go into darkness, that means we've just gotta understand that greater is He that is in us than he that is in the world and we are gonna make a difference in our generation. We somehow think as Christians, we're, we kind of get risk averse. I don't understand that. We of anyone should just understand there's nothing ultimately to be fearful of. We're not here forever. We're just passing through. And life is risky. You can't avoid risk, especially, you know, I'm, I'm in this state in Oklahoma. And when you look out the window, no matter if I try to protect myself, you have winds and lightning and storms. And I'm like, where do you people live? Anyway, you can't <laughs> avoid it. Nick and I were flying on an airplane from um, Chicago to Raleigh, North Carolina, recently. We got up above the clouds, you know, where you want to be in a plane, and we got up there. And then all of a sudden, the captain comes over the loudspeaker and he says these words, Ladies and gentlemen, there is no need to panic. (laughs) I'm thinking I wasn't panicking until you just said that. And then he said, literally, he said, we're having problems with the landing gear. We can't get it up. We're not sure what's attached. Why he said that, I don't know. And we're going to come back. We're not going to make it to Raleigh. So we're going to go back and try to land in Chicago. Now... If you fly a lot, there are several words you never want to hear in the same sentence. (laughs) Trying and landing are not what you want in the same sentence. So anyway, I'm feeling okay. But let me just tell you, the spirit of atheism left that airplane in five seconds. I'm telling you, people were crying out, Muhammad, Buddha, Allah, God, Mary, Mother Teresa, everyone. I mean, they were calling on everyone. And I'm going to Nick. whoa, people suddenly believe in something or are hoping something's there. Anyway, we come in. I was calm. Until we come into land at Chicago, and no joke, all the way down the runway, there were special emergency vehicles, rescue squads, ambulance, fire trucks with all their sirens and their red lights and blue lights flashing. And I just thought, I think this is serious. And so I just grabbed Nick by the hand, and this is, I went, I hope this doesn't hurt. It's just, I don't do pain. And so I'm thinking, I just hope it's really quick. I'd be a terrible martyr. You would hope you would never get caught with me and martyred because I would deny you all. Anyway, so <laughs> I'm, I'm ter- I I'll have to repent later. It's just not going to work. But you know what I found out that day, church? I found out that flying is risky. In the last couple of years, Nick and I have been in a few major cities in the world where within literally hours of me leaning, leaving terrorist bombs have blown up buildings. When they tried to bomb the Australian embassy in Jakarta a couple of years ago, and the building next door to the Australian embassy, that was totaled to the ground. I think they blew it up somewhere around 1.38 a.m. At 9 p.m. the night before, I was the last person to speak in that building. I left that building at 11, and three hours later, less than three hours later, it was totaled by terrorist bombs. We were in Mumbai, in the Taj Hotel, eating in that restaurant, that very restaurant. That only a little while later, those terrorist attacks happened and killed so many people in that Taj Hotel. Our now anti human trafficking initiatives headquarters are in Thessaloniki in Greece. Nick and I and the children were there November and January, November last year, January this year, when the big anarchy riots that spread through Europe started in Greece, where they totally bombed and ruined all that whole, right where our offices are. I mean, it was less than two hours later that we had left and got on an airplane with our whole family. You see, the thing that I'm discovering is being an evangelist in the 21st century. It's pretty risky. You can't avoid risk if you try. You know, when I was nine years old, I fell in love for the first time with a little boy called Patrick. And um, it was in class one red, we'd never spoken, but it was love at first sight on my behalf. And so I went up to Patrick and I said to him once, because in Australia, this is what you say. I said, Patrick, I love you and you love me, don't you? Uh, the boy didn't know what to do. He's like, yes. And so I said, um, Patrick, will you go with me? Now, in Australia, when you're nine, you go with each other. That's what you ask them, will you go with me? But you don't go anywhere, and you don't talk to each other, but you go nowhere together, but you're going together, okay? So, we were so Patrick and I went nowhere together for three weeks, and then Patrick dumped me for my best friend Kathy. So then he was going nowhere with Kathy, but he dumped me. But you know what my little tender heart discovered? When I was nine years old, love is risky. My auntie was married for 25 years to my uncle, came home one night, the whole place was empty, kids were gone. He had left her and um, moved to another state. It was a big um, front page story in Australia. And he had left her and um, taken her best friend with whom he'd been having an affair for 18 of those 25 years and just left her. see, marriage life is risky. When I was 18, my dad fell over, hurt his back, soon after was diagnosed with cancer. By the time I was 19, my dad died. Life is just risky. And you know, sometimes we are so scared to take risks, so scared to cross the street, so scared to get engaged with a lost and a broken world because we think, what if? What about HIV/AIDS? What about human trafficking? Well, you know, we are right in the midst of Eastern Europe now with Albanian mafia, Russian mafia. It's like, yes, it is risky. But in the words of George Bernard Shaw, it's okay because ultimately death is the ultimate statistic. One out of one will die. And so, you know, I'm glad, I bet you're all glad you came to church this weekend. One out of one will die. It's going to happen to all of us. So you can either have a myth of trying to just live a, a nice, safe, predictable life or saying, you know what, if we are going to make a difference and fulfill the purpose for which God put us on the earth, we have to be prepared to take risks. We have to be prepared to step out of the boat. The great missionary, David Livingston, when he started modern missions movements in Africa, the mission society that sent him to Africa wrote him a letter and said, Dr. Livingston, he'd been there for a couple of years. Dr. Livingston, is there a path well paved to where you are? If there is, We have men that we want to send to help you. Dr. Livingston wrote back and he said, if you have men who will only come if a path has been paved, I don't want them. I want men who will only come if there is no path at all. And I believe in the era that the church is living in. God wants to take us to places where paths have not yet been developed to where we need to go. And we need to engage risk, we need to embrace risk, we need to understand the book of James chapter 4 verse 13 says, life is but a vapor, here today, gone tomorrow. Let's stop trying to make everything comfortable as if we're going to be here forever because we're not. We've got a job to do. Ephesians 2 verse 10 says, for we are His workmanship, recreated in Christ Jesus. What's the purpose? for good works that God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Of course, we understand we're saved by grace. Ephesians 2 eight: for by grace you've been saved, not works lest any man should, be, should boast, but we've been saved by grace for good works. There's been a plan in all of before you ever got to earth, God had a purpose and a destiny for your life. Not so that we can somehow reach some nice little safe Nirvana here on earth, but so that we can take risks and make a difference in our generation. So my challenge came, would you cross the street, Christine? At 43 years old, two kids, a global ministry, would you cross the street? Will you hear the cries of those girls, the screams of those girls? and help set up an infrastructure and mobilize people that will go and rescue and bring light into the darkness. The Bible says in Matthew 5, you don't have light and hide it under a bushel. It's only one purpose for light and it's to dispel the darkness. And so what we did was we began what we now call the A21 campaign and um, God has so blessed it. And just in less than a year, By the grace of God, we've had the opportunity to help serve over 140 young women. Some, and I have to change their names, but some like Zoe, who was forced when we found her, she had jumped off the fourth floor balcony to try to kill herself when her trafficker wasn't there for a moment. And she was forced to service 100 men a day. I could tell you story after story of the five-year-old girl whose mother sold her into a brothel for 250 euros forced to service anything up to 30 men a day, five years old, my daughter's age. Infant farms in other parts of the world up there where the girls that get pregnant in the brothels, they give birth to children, and then the traffickers take those kids and sell them into pedophile rings. And I could tell you story after story. A girl we got yesterday, she had been just burnt and burnt by her traffickers. For not servicing enough men, three days ago, the government brought us one girl, who um, was working on this strip in Eastern Europe. I just have to—I just can't give you names for their own protection. But she trod on a grenade that was live under the ground, blew a leg off. They'd left her for dead, and we were able to go and take her. And now she's in hospital. We're paying for her to have surgery and to see her life restored. I think. Imagine if I didn't cross the street. Imagine if we just, how many people do we all still just walk past? How many things does God want us to do that we think we're too busy, we can't be involved, we don't have enough knowledge, or we're too scared, or we're not willing to take a risk? And let me just show you this video, and then I'll finish with one story. But because we decided to cross the street, God has enabled us to start this ministry and be able to bring hope and restoration to so many young women. So why don't you just check out the screen? And watch this. Long ago I was walking through the airport in Greece and I saw all of these posters of young children and women and some of these children looked as young as my own children, maybe six years old. I began to ask what was going on and I found out that these were the alleged victims of human trafficking. After further research I found out that this was a huge global injustice and it was then and there that I decided we had to do something. This is Maria. She is 16 years old from a poor family in Kiev. She was looking for job opportunities and answered a newspaper ad to Waitress in Turkey. In Turkey, she handed over her passport and documentation to her hosts, which is not unusual. She went back to her hotel room to rest. And then soon after, four men dressed in police officer uniforms burst into her room and gang raped her. This was Maria's initiation into the sex trade industry. From here, she was smuggled into Greece. She was violated, hurting, and alone, and she had no documentation. She was now trapped without hope. When we consider the issue of human trafficking, it is so easy to be overwhelmed. There are millions of girls trapped in slavery right now. We've launched the A21 campaign for the one. If we can help rescue the life of one girl, then it's totally worth it. We're starting in Greece because it's a primary destination city for all of Europe. Our goal is to rescue, restore, and rebuild the lives of young women. At A21, we are committed to the abolition of human trafficking by rescuing girls from sex slavery and bringing them freedom justice and hope, but the time to act is now. But church, all of us, and I believe God in this hour is speaking to all of us to get out of our comfort zones and take a risk, connect in our local churches, serve the vision of our local church, and say, you know what, I'm going to get out of just looking for comfort here and help dispel the darkness on the earth. I was in Walmart with my little three-year-old because when you're an Australian, you go to Walmart as a tourist attraction because we don't have stores that are open at 3 a.m. where you can buy a television set and underwear and breakfast cereal all under one roof at 3 o'clock in the morning. It's fantastic. We take pictures and Twitter and tell everyone we're in Walmart. Anyway, so it's... And my little Sophia wanted a flashlight. So I bought her a little flashlight. We put batteries in it. I was paying for it. She was standing right there in a very well illuminated Walmart. And she turned around and I heard this. It's possibly one of the most impacting things I've heard all year. And she just kind of yelled out. She turned her flashlight on. She was frustrated because although it was on, you couldn't tell because there was so much light. So she yells out, she goes, Mommy, can we please go and find some darkness? And I just stopped. And I thought, out of the mouth of babes, a three year old has a revelation there's only one purpose for light. It's to go into the highways and byways and find the darkness and illuminate that darkness. And what we have is a world that is living in darkness. And you and I need to go into those highways and byways and bring the justice, the mercy, the grace, the love of almighty God to a lost and a broken world. We don't need to fear it. For greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. He truly is. There was a missionary, A.W. Milne part of the one-way missionaries in the 19th century, he went to a tribe of headhunters in the New Hebrides. No one had ever come back from this tribe. He didn't die, I mean, as in he wasn't killed by them, but he died after 35 years and they buried him. And this is the epitaph that they wrote on his tombstone and I would love something like this on mine. As they buried him, they wrote this. When he came, there was no light. When he left there was no darkness. My prayer for all of us as the Church of Jesus Christ is in our normal, seemingly insignificant, boring, everyday life, that we see it as a faith adventure where we will step into places of darkness, people's lives that are a mess and that are broken that need life and hope and answers. And when we turn up, yep, it might be dark, but by the time we've left every day, there is just light wherever we've been It's time for the church to arise and shine. Let our light so shine before men that they may see our good works and glorify our Father that's in heaven in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, and amen, and amen. Let me pray for us, church. Father, I thank you for the awesome privilege of serving you. And Lord, thank you for putting your light and your life inside of us And I pray, Lord, that we wouldn't have a spirit of fear that rules us, that stops us, cripples and immobilizes us from stepping into your purpose and destiny. But I pray right now, Father, at every location, every person listening, that, Lord, we would determine to step up and into our God-given destiny and not be held back by fear. Lord, that we would be willing to take risks so that wherever we go, that even when we turn up, there might not be any light, but by the time we leave, there is no darkness because the light of Christ is left wherever we've been. Lord, I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, church.